Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Strength in Numbers, Triplet Combination Therapies in Relapsed Refractory Multiple Myeloma Special Patient Populations. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. Hello, my name is Saad Usmani. I'm the chief of the myeloma service at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. And it's a pleasure to be here for this program titled Strength in Numbers, Triple Combination Therapies and Relapse Refractory Multiple Myeloma, Special Patient Populations. I'd like to introduce Dr. Morgan to the program as well. Hello, my name is Gareth Morgan, I'm Professor of Medicine at NYU Langone Health, also in New York City. The landscape of myeloma therapy has changed quite a bit in the last decade, but the basic schema kind of stays the same. In most patients, when they start their initial induction therapy, we deem eligibility for stem cell transplant for them. And then post-transplant maintenance is given, whereas patients who are deemed transplant ineligible move on to maintenance therapy right after their initial induction treatment. We started that journey from two and three drug combinations, and now triplet-based inductions are for the most part considered standard of care for most myeloma patients. But now we are entering an era where anti-C38 monoclonal antibodies are being utilized in quadruplet regimens as initial induction therapy for patients. The maintenance can then be with either lenalidomide with or without a proteasome inhibitor. But the transplant ineligible older patients, it's typically a three-drug combination like RVD, which is dose attenuated many times, and then daratumumab with Lindex or DRD is the other regimen that's utilized. As patients make their way down to their first relapse, we're looking at several factors in, in determining how best to pick a treatment for them. Refractiveness to either lenalidomide or a proteasome inhibitor becomes an important part of how we choose between the various options that we have at hand. Beyond that second or third relapse, what we are really relying on is next generation proteasome inhibitors or immunomodulatory drugs. Dr. Morgan, your thoughts on the landscape of myeloma treatment? You've described it beautifully, Dr. Osmani. One of the important features of modern therapy has been the ability to get people into deep responses, some of the responses where there's undetectable disease. And given the range of treatments that Dr. Ismani has just outlined, it's possible to do that both in the younger patients and in the older patients. At some point, patients do develop refractoriness to all these three classes, the PIs, the IMIDs, as well as anti-C38. And as they go into that four or more prior lines of treatment, this is where we have a big area of unmet need and a lot of clinical research is being done in developing novel therapies for that patient population. But now we've discussed that, let's move on to the next section and discuss how we actively select treatment for our relapsed refractory myeloma patients. 
With the anti-CD38 antibody-based combination triplets, there's a number of factors you need to take into account. The disease-related factors include high-risk cytogenetics, the timing and aggressiveness of the relapse, as well as response to previous treatments. There are the potential toxicities of treatment, peripheral neuropathy, frequency and route of administration, and whether the patient is refractory or simply exposed to those agent. Then there are the patient-related factors, including comorbidities, whether they have renal disease, whether they have heart disease, but also there's a significant amount of patient preference which comes into the choice. So we're going to describe to you a study known as CANDA, where two drug regimens were compared. One, a two-drug regimen with carfilzomib and dexamethasone versus carfilzomib, dexamethasone, and in this case, daratumumab. This is a group of patients that have been quite heavily pre-treated, some with one prior line, some with two to three prior lines. Mostly they've been exposed to the major agents, the imid drugs, the proteasome inhibitors, and patients have been either relapsed or exposed to these agents in a significant proportion of cases. The other study is the Ikema study, which is kind of a parallel design where isotuximab is combined with carfilzomib and dexamethasone. And again, a similar group of patients, similarly well-balanced. So Dr. Morgan, what's interesting to see is a high proportion of patients who are lenalidomide refractory as well as proteasome inhibitor exposed or refractory. And that's the kind of patient that we see in the U.S. clinical practice in my clinic. The patient population that's most relevant in each of these clinical trials is that refractory patient population. And looking at the efficacy data is going to be very important and most meaningful for clinical practice. Now that we've had the chance to review some of the factors that help us guide treatment. Let's review the latest evidence for incorporating anti-CD38 monoclonal antibodies in special subgroups for patients with relapse of refractory multiple myeloma. So if we look at the CANDER study, the study had met its primary endpoint, which was PFS in favor of the three-drug combination. The median PFS was not reached, but subsequently it was reported as over 28 months compared to 15.8 months in the KD arm. What was also impressive was the depth of response with fourfold higher MRD negativity in the DARA KD arm compared to the KD arm. And more recently, the study reported the overall survival data. The median OS in the KD-DAR arm was 50.8 months compared to 43.6, trending in favor of DKD, even though it did not meet the pre-specified statistical p-value of 0.02. The OS trend was specifically more pronounced for patients who were LEN or proteosome inhibited refractory or patients who were in that first early relapse with LEN exposure. So Dr. Morgan, what are your thoughts about these data? I think it's fascinating, Dr. Osmani. The depth of response is greater. The progression-free survival is greater. The overall survival is greater, all in favor of the three-drug regimen compared to the two-drug regimen. If we look at a comparable study, the Ikema study, you can see that the results look very similar. The hazard ratio is about 0.5 for Ikema and is also about 0.5 for the CANDA study. So overall, both studies show a significant increase in the progression-free survival. If you look at special subgroups, you see that in this study, the agent seems to be active 
both in the high-risk group defined specifically in the group with 1Q gain, and that suggests that these combinations of drugs are really active where drugs used not to be so active. They're going to be particularly active in people with more aggressive, rapid rates of relapse. Where else may they be active, Dr. Iznani? I agree. The key message is that the anti-CD38 PI combination here appears to be very favorable for those special populations that have high-risk features or refraction as to other drug classes. So in the next session, we're going to look at the safety of the anti-CD38 combinations. So let's take a look at the great theory higher treatment emergent adverse events that were reported in the most recent update from Candor. What we can observe here is the most common A's were hematologic, primarily neutropenia and thrombocytopenia. Important non-hematologic A's include infection, shortness of breath or dyspnea. Peripheral neuropathy was seen in a smaller proportion of patients. If you look at great theory high, you can see it was in a low proportion of patients in the KD data in the KD arm, the cardiac failure rate rates your higher was about 4% in the KD-DAR arm compared to 8.5% in the KD arm. If we now go to Ikema, Dr. Morgan, what are your thoughts about the safety profile of that trial? Bearing in mind that the triplet combination used is very similar, the side effect profile is also very similar. The kind of myelosuppressive impacts of neutropenia thrombocytopenia are directly comparable. There is not a terribly high risk of infections, meaning it's a safe combination to use. But there is this signal of some shortness of breath and cardiac failure. But when you look at the percentage of this, it's very low and is an acceptable rate of side effects. So from a clinical practice perspective, I think what we have to be mindful with this combination is the risk of cytopenias and infection. The cardiac signal, even though it's in a small proportion of patients, we have to be mindful in patients who already have a history of cardiovascular disease or events. In the next session, let's dive into long-term management strategies for special subgroups of patients with relapse or factory multiple myeloma. In this session, let's focus on the long-term monitoring and management of patients with relapsed refractory myeloma, and then also look at some special subgroups. In my practice, I like to see patients every two to three months and to monitor them with biochemical assessments, including the SPEP, the serum protein electrophoresis, and the serum free light chain assay. These are essential, but we have new methods of detecting response, including mass spectrometry which is more sensitive and allows us a window onto the complete response setting. And in addition, there are sequencing-based methods where you can look at the amount of minimal residual disease present. This is called NGS testing. Overall, using these tests in the clinic, you can define these categories outlined in the slide. And it's the stringent complete responses where these new, more sensitive tests are giving us a window onto deep response rates and what these mean to long-term survival. Perhaps you could comment on the safety profiles and what 
the implication of those are for long-term management. As we are starting patients on anti-C38 antibody-based combinations, one has to be mindful of the potential infusion-related reactions. If patients do develop an infusion or administration-related reaction, we manage them with supportive care and additional steroids or antihistamines. They tend to be fairly well resolved and do not occur again with subsequent administration. There is a risk of shingles and respiratory infections for risk of shingles. Patients are typically on viral prophylactic medications. And if we find someone having an upper respiratory tract infection, antibiotics can be utilized. And lastly, there is a small chance of cardiovascular side effects that can happen with carfilzomib administration. You have to be judicious with IV hydration for patients, making sure that if patients have an existing history of hypertension, that it's well managed. Or if you start seeing a trend of blood pressure inching up, it may be time to consider starting hypertension management for that patient as well. Dr. Morgan, what are your thoughts as we pick patients for anti-C38-based combination therapies? One of the major considerations, I think, is that this is a safe combination. And overall, they're valid across the board for almost all our patients. Triplet combinations containing anti-CD38 increase responses and improve progression-free survival. They're well-tolerated and easy to deliver in the clinic. In addition to Dr. Morgan's summary of the key takeaways, I do want to highlight the practice in the United States where a lot of our patients have progressed on lenalidomide. These anti-C38-based combinations that we've discussed have shown good efficacy in that particular patient population. In addition to lenalidomide refractory patients, the high-risk subsets also benefit preferentially from this combination compared to the two drug combinations that they were compared with in the randomized phase three studies. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.